Okay, well tonight we're going to be talking about Jonah and his involvement in missions. I don't know what comes to your mind, first of all, when you think of Jonah, but what, and, and to you, if you could give a one or two word phrase, what, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think of Jonah? What would that be? Um, I... I'm a teacher. I like to ask questions. So, what what would that what would that be to you, if if well, what comes to your mind first when you think of Jonah? A bit selfish. A bit selfish. Yeah. Moody. Moody. Self-centered. Run away. Run away. Yeah. Those are all. Those are all good things. Um, not all good things, but those are all true things. Um, anything else? A reluctant missionary. Yeah, a reluctant missionary. Yeah, all of those things describe Jonah a little bit, each in their own little different way. There, there are, well, obviously, we, we all have heard the story of Jonah since we were little. What's the thing that the little children hear about when they, when they hear the story of Jonah? What, what, what are some of the first things you know about Jonah? Jonah and the whale. Jonah and the whale, exactly. That's right, the big fish. Jonah is swallowed, swallowed by the big fish. Um, we hear about Jonah running away from God, and that he gets on the boat, and the big storm comes, he's thrown overboard, and the big fish miraculously rescues him. He is then, three days later, after he has had a change of heart, he's regurgitated upon the beach, and then he decides, okay, now it's time to listen to God. Um, so yeah, there's a runaway prophet, he's thrown off the ship, he's followed by a big fish, and all of these things are true, but I think we're missing a big part of the story if that's all we think of when we think about Jonah. There's a lot of, there's a lot of things in the story of Jonah that simply point to that God is working, and God uses sometimes people who are, quite honestly, are not very willing. Um, and he sometimes uses them in ways that they're not even realizing at the time. So, Jonah. We first, I believe the first uh, mention of Jonah in the Bible is in 2 Kings. And it mentions him briefly in, in, in 2 Kings where he had delivered a message to the children of Israel. Had given them some sort of a glimpse of hope. Uh, it was during the, ro- during the reign of Jeroboam II. And... Jeroboam II was a wicked king, but um, it seems like God had given Jonah a message to give to the people. Giving um, There were some promises that God had given to Jonah. He had prophesied to them, and then he had fulfilled them during, during this time. Not really going to get into that so much, but there, there was Jonah's first mission, you would say, to the children of Israel. He was, he was a prophet, uh, considered a man of God. We're going to spend more time focusing on his journey to Nineveh, though, and what what was that like? So Jonah, now Jonah, he was the son son of Amittai, and his name means dove. It comes from the Hebrew word Yonah, and it means dove. It's the meaning of his um, original his name in the original Hebrew. He's a messenger of hope to the children of Israel, first of all. Then we come to 
the account in the book of Jonah of his ministry to Nineveh. But first of all, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn, if you could turn to Nahum chapter 3. I want to look a bit at the kind of city that Nineveh actually was and the kind of people who lived in this city. And I've been pretty critical of Jonah myself. Hey, Jonah, God gave you a job to do. Can't you just go do it? After studying a little bit what the people of Assyria were like, I don't know if God would have asked me to go along with Jonah, I probably would have ran away with him. Because the people of Assyria were incredibly wicked and cruel. In, in Nahum chapter 3, this is speaking about Nineveh here. Woe to the bloody city, it is all full of lies and robbery. The prey departeth not. The noise of a whip, the noise of the, rat, of the rattling of the wheels, and of the, pra- and of the prancing horses, and of the jumping chariots. The horseman lifteth up both the bright sword and the glittering spear. And there is a multitude of slain, and a great number of, cor- of, and a great number of carcasses. And there is none end of their, of their corpses. They stumble upon their corpses. Because of the multitude of the whoredoms and of the well-favored harlot, the mistress of witchcrafts, that selleth nations through her whoredoms, and the families through her witchcrafts. Behold, I am against thee, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will discover thy skirts upon thy face, and I will show the nations thy nakedness, and the kingdoms thy shame. And I will cast abominable filth upon thee, and make thee vile, and will set thee and will set thee as a gazing stock. And it shall come to pass that all they that look upon thee shall flee from thee, and shall say, Nineveh is laid waste. Who will bemoan her? Whence shall I seek comforters for thee? Um, If you jump uh, to, to verse 19, he continues on here, but jump to verse 19. There is no healing of thy bruise, thy wound is grievous. All that hear the bruit of thee shall clap their hands over thee. For upon whom hath not thy wickedness passed continually? So, these are the people that Jonah is called to go and minister to. Who were these people of Nineveh? They were of the Assyrians, the enemies of Israel. The Assyrian Empire was located in Mesopotamia, Mesopotamia near the Euphrates River. Their reputation was so fierce that Jonah fled in fear when God commanded him. Assyrian Assyrian soldiers were equipped with the latest weaponry, including barbed arrows, catapults, and siege machines. They were known for ruthless battle tactics and horrific treatment of their captives. To avoid resistance, the Assyrian army intimidated their enemies by inflicting great suffering upon conquered lands. Only individuals with special skills and abilities were spared. If you, did, if you didn't have some great skill, you were killed. The rest were put to death in very gruesome ways. Assyrian kings prided themselves on their military conquests and often recorded their victories in writing. They also told stories of their conquests in pictorial reliefs that lined their palace walls. Archaeologists have uncovered many of these Assyrian records recounting victories and plunder. They have found chilling information about the way Assyrians torture their captives, including flaying of live humans, beheading, impaling, burning people alive, especially babies and children. 
severing off body parts, cutting off the hands, feet, nose, ears, all methods of torture that the Assyrians used on their captives, gouging out eyes. So it started to make a little more sense to me why Jonah really ran. Jonah got up and fled and ran the other way. It seems like in, in Jonah's mind, he's like, Nineveh? Really? Nineveh? I can go anywhere else in the known world, but you, you picked Nineveh. And he wasn't up to the task at this time. Why would any right-thinking Hebrew want to go there? If you were thinking right, you, you wouldn't go there. If you were a Hebrew. It was a scene of tremendous brutality against the people of God. They hated the Assyrians. And, Jonah's, and Jonah needs to go there. Asking a Jew to go to Nineveh in that time, when the story takes place, would be like asking a survivor of 911 to take relief, relief supplies to an Al-Qaeda village in Pakistan. Or asking a Holocaust survivor to lead a mission to Germany in 1949. Yet, oddly enough, that's the call of God. Arise and go to Nineveh. So if you turn your Bibles to Jonah chapter 1, we have the mission that is given specifically to Jonah. And I have a map that I'll show you guys if I can get it pulled up here. have the mission given to Jonah in, in Jonah chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee, and he, he rose up to flee to Tarshish. Now, I'm not sure why Tarshish. There are some who would say that at that time, Tarshish was the farthest known city in the world from, from, from where Jonah was. I'm, I can't say for sure that that's accurate, but I, I, did, I did read that. Um, if, you, if you look here, this is just summarizing Jonah's flight here. So he begins in his hometown of Gathhefer here, heads down to Joppa, catches a ship with his end goal in mind is Tarshish. So that's his plan. And I said, I've read that it is was the farthest known city at that time. And I've also there's a couple of different estimates that I saw. Um, approximately 2,500 miles uh, from Joppa to Tarshish. 2,200, 2,500, somewhere um, over 2,000 miles um, where Jonah was planning to go. 
I'm not 100% sure why Jonah chose Tarshish, other than the fact that it was far away, and he just wanted to go far away at, at this time. So he heads down to Joppa to catch a ship and head to Tarshish. All right, so he's, he's been given the mission, and not long after he, not long after the ship leaves, obviously we know the story, the storm comes, and they become very afraid. This isn't some normal storm <coughs> that they, the, the mariners are quite familiar with storms on the Mediterranean Sea, I believe. And this seems to be a dandy of a storm. They were afraid that their ship was going to be broken. In verse 4 it says that, The Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Now, in verse 5 we find out that the mariners are believers. They are, at least since the storm has come up, they have become religious. Um, Now they're mariners and that their lifestyle usually wasn't very conducive to, reli- to, to um, religion. But we see here, they were crying out to their gods, small letter G, their gods, because of how afraid they were. Jonah, now, I, I do not totally understand Jonah here, but he's sleeping. Uh, it doesn't seem to me like he would necessarily be at peace with God right now, and be able to sleep because of what he's just done, but he is. He, they find him. They find him down in the ship. He had gone down into the sides of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. There seems it seems like there was something different about Jonah, though, and the the, the the mariners knew this. They woke Jonah up and said, "We want you to call upon your God." I don't know if Jonah had had a conversation before with them or not. seems like he was trying to avoid people at this point. <clears throat> Excuse me. But, he said, but, but they came and asked him to, um, to call upon his God. After they do this, they cast lots, and Jonah is found to be the guilty party on the ship. He's the reason for the storm. And it, I, I don't know what the religions were of, of the mariners. Um, seems like there was some superstitions involved um, based on, you know, there's a storm. Somebody sinned. That's the reason for the storm. In this case, they were right. <coughs> However, if you look in verse 9 and 10, God is working. He's working through the storm. But also, if you look at verse 9 and 10, Jonah said, I am, the he- I am in Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord. And at that point, they knew he was talking about the true God. And if you look, okay, so Jonah a mission. He wasn't actually, at this at this time, he wasn't attempting to be a missionary. But God was using him, right at this time, to bring the, to bring these mariners 
to become aware of the fact of who the true God was. And if you look in, after they have, um, lost lost my place here for the, um, in verse 16, this is after they have cast Jonah overboard into the sea, and, and they have, they offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. So God's working through Jonah, even though he has turned his back and he has ran away, or he has tried to run away. So these these men, through and unwilling and selfish Jonah, have turned to the Lord through the events that just happened. So God's already actually using Jonah. Moving on, when we go into chapter 2, we have Jonah praying now. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly, and said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. Out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou heardest my voice. For thou hadst cast me into the deep in the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about. All thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. The waters compassed me about, even to the soul. The depth closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped about my head. So, he gives a picture of, well, it's not a very pretty picture, uh, when he's in the belly of the whale. I believe Jonah had a lot of time to just think about everything that had happened and what was currently (coughs) happening to him. He cries out to God. Something that he mentions is, I will look again to thy holy temple. Excuse me. When my soul fainted within me, I remember the Lord. I will pay that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. So, Jonah is having a change of heart here. And I can't say that I too much blame him at this point. He's in the belly of a fish. What else are you going to do? Where are you going to go? Are you going to are you going to try to run away from God again after you have after it has ended this way the first time? I hope not. So, in verse 9, I will, for, I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. When Jonah gives this, this promise, this rededication to God, then God orders the fish to vomit him back up on to dry land. So, Jonah, as far as I know, is the only person who has ever been swallowed up and thrown up and lived to tell about it. That was Jonah. Alright, then we have the second call of God to go to Nineveh. This is his obviously it's God's mission for Jonah. I when I have the question, so why not just get somebody else to do this? Because God had picked Jonah for this mission. It was it was his plan that Jonah carries through with it. I think he also was trying to teach Jonah um, um, a lesson as well. Chapter 3. 
And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, and go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So here, in chapter 3, the story is a little different. Then Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. If so, so Jonah, um, sorry, not Jonah. Nineveh was an immense city. It was three days. It took it took three days to travel from excuse me from one side of the city to another to to the other side of the city. It took three days. So a very large city, and Jonah's job was to walk the city and preach the message that the city was going to be destroyed in 40 days if they do not repent. Verse 4. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Is someone in the back bringing a tissue? Alright. So, God, God specifically is saying, to these people through Jonah, repent, or you're going to, or the, or the city will be overthrown. And I'm not sure what Jonah's attitude was like as he was ministering to these people. Um, I'm not sure what his tone of voice was. Thank you. But I. I Looking at his attitude later, I, I don't I don't think he was incredibly enthusiastic um, in Jonah's heart because after like we see at the end, Jonah's heart was not that they would repent. Yes, God, I'll go and tell them they need to. But deep inside, he didn't want them to repent. The builder of Nineveh had proposed to make it the largest city in the world and the largest that could be built by man. So he had, he had quite a job, job to do. Um, it took him, like I said, three days to, to walk across the city. So the word is proclaimed at this point. Thanks, Josh. The word is proclaimed at this point and the people respond. Not that they wanted to, not, not that Jonah wanted them to, but, but they did. They heard the message of the Lord. Here again, we have God moving through someone who wasn't necessarily, didn't necessarily have, um, what we would say, the right heart at the moment. And the king, in verse 6 of chapter 3, For the word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him, and covered him with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And the king declares, every person in Nineveh is to be covered in sackcloth and ashes. And we're not stopping at the people. We're going to have all the animals covered in sackcloth and ashes as well. That had to be some kind of sight to see. Um, like, your dog does not understand why he needs to be covered in sackcloth and ashes. He, I, I know he doesn't get it. But this is what the king did. This is what the king ordered all everyone and even and even the animals 
are to be covered in sackcloth and ashes. So, as a sign of true repentance, and as a result of the work of this reluctant servant of the Lord, Jonah. Verse 9. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? Basically, let's show, let's show God that we are sincere, that we really are repenting of our sin, that we are going to turn back, that we are going to turn towards God. So, the people have repented. The word of the Lord has been delivered. Jonah, the messenger, has delivered it. Great, right? Jonah should be incredibly happy because he's a man of God. Well, chapter 4 doesn't say that. Verse 1, chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. He wasn't just a little bit upset. He was very angry that the people repented of their sins. Have you ever been angry that someone came to Christ? I don't think we can identify with that. Have we harbored hatred in our hearts that much that if our enemy comes to Christ that we are angry? I don't think anyone in here can identify with that kind of hatred. But like I described in the beginning, the deeds of the Assyrians, I guess in human understanding you would say, well, didn't Jonah kind of have a right to feel that way? But it does seem odd that a messenger of God felt that way. So it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my, my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish. For I knew that thou art a gracious God, and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repentest thee of evil. Jonah saying, God, I knew you had it in your heart to forgive these people. And I was afraid that would happen. I was afraid these people would turn to you. And I didn't want that to happen. Therefore now, O Lord, and this, this one, like I think uh, someone, someone mentioned uh, self-pity. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. These people have been saved, so God, just take my life away from me now. I have delivered your message. Um, the best thing for me to do now is, is to just die. Jonah was displeased exceedingly. This hasty and indeed inconsiderate prophet was vexed because his prediction was not fulfilled. His prediction that if you don't, if you don't repent, God's going to destroy you. That prediction was not fulfilled. Was that maybe part of it as well? He had more respect to his high sense of his own honor than he had toward the goodness and mercy of God. He appeared to care little whether 620,000 persons were destroyed or not. 620,000 people in a city who had turned to God as a result of his message. 
then on the flip side of that, you could say, well, to Israel, wouldn't have wouldn't it have been a plus for them if, if the Assyrians are wiped off the face of the earth? If you're looking at it from Jonah's perspective. <coughs> well, the story isn't. The ultimate goal of the story isn't to come from Jonah's perspective. It's a story of how God uses people for his purpose without them even realizing it sometimes. God God has a a mission for us to complete and we are not always willing as we should be like Jonah was not willing. Um, one thing one thing that I tell my students sometimes is that growth doesn't happen inside of your comfort zone. Now, I don't believe that any of us have ever been pushed to the limit like Jonah was, as far as a comfort zone goes. Um, I haven't, at least I haven't been asked to go and speak to people who I'm afraid might murder me. I've never experienced that. But for us personally, when, when we are asked to go minister to someone, when we're asked to do a job, and it can be a very small thing, how many times do we act like Jonah and run for the nearest ship and head to a different city? I think it's something that we need to to be thinking about because we have no idea all of what God is trying to do and why he is sending us to a certain place or asking us to do a certain job at that time. We may have no, we might not understand it, but if we look back five years after God has asked us to do it, we then might understand. What, why God was asking us to uh, to do what whatever it was. So, it's a challenge that I want that I want to to leave with us. Yes, God did use Jonah in an amazing way, but I still can't be satisfied with how it ended with with Jonah. I still can't be. Um, I, I didn't have time to finish out there in chapter 4 the whole um, how, how the book of Jonah actually ends there and God that conversation that God had with Jonah um, and yeah, the story of, of the gourd and how, how it died then and how Jonah had more he cared more about that gourd than he had cared about the people that he was uh, called to minister to so let's let the grace of Christ work through us and as we go about our own mission fields each day, um, let's embrace God's call in our lives and work to fulfill it and be happy when he uses us um, in the way that he wants us to. Because um, life is too short to uh, respond the way that, that Jonah did. I, yeah, I think that is an accurate uh, way to see it there.